Today, though, I do want to use my time to share with you something that's been on my heart uh, for 10 years, and I didn't even know it. I want to give you some context so that you're not lost and I have to spend the rest of the morning looking for you. In 2005, I was hired on in August, and it was within the first few weeks that God clearly and strongly impressed on my heart that one of the ways that the enemy works here was through the sin of sloth. Now, leadership back then got together, and we prayed, and God answered prayer, and God moved, and I walked away not thinking much of that. A few weeks ago, as I began to prepare for what I was supposed to speak on, God reminded me of that prayer time. And since then, I realized that I had paid no or little attention to it at all. As a matter of fact, I realized I had never actually looked up what sloth was all about. And so I decided to. to. And after looking it up and spending the last 10 years serving here, I have come to believe really strongly that this is not the only way but certainly one way, a major way that the enemy seeks to continue to work here at Hillside to keep God's kingdom light from working in us and working through us. I don't know if you've ever noticed with a sports team, there can be a team in any league, really, that's at the top of the league. And then there's one that is the bottom of the league, and the, and the top team really has no problem with most of the teams. But when it comes to that, that bottom feeder, they just struggle. They can't seem to beat them. It's the way it was with Edmonton. I think they would have won a lot more cups. But a few years ago, during the first playoff series, they kept meeting the Dallas Stars. And though Edmonton was better, Dallas just had their way with them. Edmonton couldn't beat them. See, different families deal with different weaknesses and different baggage, and each city and church will have their own distinct strengths and weaknesses. I think sloth is something that Hillside has to continually be aware of if we want God's kingdom and His light to advance outside these walls as I believe He desires. I want to make it clear that we are not to be afraid of the enemy no matter what his name is. And we are not to focus all our attention on the enemy. But we are instructed to be aware of the enemy's schemes. And so this morning I want to help you be a little bit more aware of how sloth can keep the light from God's kingdom from working in you and then shining through you when you walk out that door. Now although it's important, really important to discover what sloth um, is and how it may impact you, the focus this morning isn't sloth. And it's certainly not you. The focus this morning is Jesus and His kingdom. See, Jesus wants to be king over Hillside. He wants to be king over you. But sloth, sloth doesn't want Jesus to be king. Because He knows if Jesus is your king, then when He speaks, you will pay really close attention. When He leads you, you will follow, regardless of the cost. And when He shines His light on you in any area, big or small, that He wants to address that you will willingly respond because you know that He is good, you know that He is love, and He is your King. See, sloth doesn't want Jesus to be your King, but that's exactly what Jesus wants. I believe it's 36 times in Scripture He uses the word Savior, and over 7,000 He uses the term Lord. 
Jesus wants to be your Lord, your master, and your king because he wants you to look like your king and love like your king and live for your king so that others who don't know him as king will spend forever with him in his coming kingdom. Sloth knows that with Jesus as your king, that you would walk out those front doors and the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is within you. That means that God is in you. His nature is in you. And so over time, with Jesus as your king, his kingdom would grow. His nature would grow in you. And more and more areas of your life would come under the rule of your loving and good king, including your attitudes and every decision. And as you walk out the front door, and as you go in your neighborhood, as you go shopping or to work at the arena or the soccer field, you would become more controlled by His Spirit than by your own desires or your fears and insecurities. And God's nature would be seen in you and people would notice that you're different from the culture around you. And that's exactly what's supposed to happen. People will either be drawn or repelled. Those that are drawn to you, to the King in you, you will have then an open invitation to tell them about how loving and how good your King really is. See, Jesus is the king of the coming kingdom. And the call today is simply to realign your heart, your life, your thinking with your king. And it's as simple as clear as this. Your king, by his spirit, just like every other Sunday, wants to shine his light in you. Now, I've mentioned it before, and I'll say it again, that I get together face-to-face with a good, trusted friend regularly, and we catch up, but the main thing that we're there to do, and before we even talk, we pray this simple prayer, and if we don't pray it, it's our heart attitude. It is, Jesus, would you shine your light in us? Whatever you want to show and speak to us, we give you permission, whether we like it or not. And more times than not, we're surprised at what he wants to reveal, what he wants to show. But without fail, he talks to us and shows us what he wants to address. And it's not always pointing out sin. Sometimes he just wants us to know how loved we are. Even though we keep sinning. As we go along today, I want you to be open to whatever he shows you, whatever he wants to point his finger on, wherever he wants to shine his light. And whatever it is, I would ask that you commit to dealing with it swiftly with his help, aligning with him and cooperating with him. And I want you to see that if, if you are open to what he shows you, if you're open to his light, to his word, to his truth, and where he wants to work, then you actually receive his light and his word and his truth. And he can begin working in that area. But it doesn't stop there. The exciting part, and you can't miss this, is if you receive his light and his truth, then you leave out those doors with his light and his truth at work. See, hillside is, is like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. You are to let your light shine. But the amount of light that leaves this place is dependent in part on how much you respond to the light, to the truth, to his word that he reveals to you. See, Jesus wants to be your king. And although he loves you, and he made it absolutely clear by his demonstration on the cross, 
Although he loves you, you have to understand that you and I are not the center of this story. You and me are not the most important part, but Jesus as king, his eternal kingdom and glory are. And so there are people living in darkness that he loves just as much as you and I. And the only way some of them are going to see the light of the glory of Christ is when God's people are living with Jesus as their king. Responding to his light and learning to live in the light of, the, of his truth outside these walls, out in the world, out in the darkness where his light is desperately needed to be seen. Sloth hates Jesus. And his mandate, his goal, the only reason that he shows up every Sunday, the only purpose that he is here is to keep as much light in here and as little light leaving this place as possible. His only aim is to keep God's light, His truth, His word from walking out that door and continuing to work in you. The thought of that terrifies Him. For He would be out of a job and need to be repositioned. I want to take a quick look at sloth. The Greek word we translate as sloth is akenyeia. <laughs> well, whatever. It's the absence of care. It means indifference or negligence. So sloth is being negligent or indifferent to God's word or his known will. So the sin of sloth is negligent or being without care or concern about God or His Word or His known will, any big or small area that He makes known to you. So let's start with what it means to be negligent. It means to be careless, to pay no attention or little attention, to disregard or to slight, to fail, to carry out, to fail to use or to take. Have you ever been careless? with God's word or with what he has tried to get your attention about? Has, has God ever prompted you to have a conversation or to make something right or to start or stop doing something to connect with your neighbors who don't know him and you paid no or little attention? Have you ever disregarded a truth from God or ignored or avoided something that was brought to light because it was too hard or too difficult or too uncomfortable or too costly? Have you ever failed to take what you hear on a Sunday out the doors with you when you leave? A yes to any of those is negligent. And it might be more than just, a, I forgot. So you have an enemy here who's working hard to make you pay no or little attention to God's word and his known will. So that as little of God's light leaves here as possible and that God's kingdom doesn't advance out in the darkness. Indifference simply means without interest or concern. It means not caring or impartial or disinterested not making a difference or mattering one way or another. Have you ever showed up on a Sunday with, without any interest, 
any hunger for the things of God. Your only concern was what you were doing after. Have you ever been in a place where you just didn't care about God's opinions or His thoughts regarding your life or a decision you were faced with? Have you ever thought that reading the Bible, following a Bible reading plan, makes no difference whether you read it or not? What difference does it make? And so you don't. Now, have you ever been reminded by God, prompted to love your spouse or your kids or your family or that one person that rubs you the wrong way and you thought it just doesn't seem to matter one way or the other? And so you lose interest in showing them God's love because they're not changing or becoming more lovable. See, if you recognize in you an indifference to God's word or his known will, it might not be an accident, but a subtle attack on your spiritual life, leaving you spiritually apathetic, leaving you spiritually apathetic, and it's possibly, sorry, and it's possible that you could be that light in the darkness with low or dead batteries and not even seem to care. If you find yourself negligent and indifferent to God's word and his known will, it can be really tricky to see a problem. Because with sloth, you can still see Jesus as your savior. But your relationship with Jesus is on your own terms. Yes, you will listen to him and respond to him when you want or when it's convenient for you or it fits into your world or your life or your kingdom or agenda. But the problem is that Jesus just isn't your savior. Jesus is your king and when he speaks through his word, when he shines his light and makes his will known to you, however big or small an area, then don't be careless with it. Pay really close attention to it. Don't disregard it. Don't slight it. Don't fail to carry it out or to take it or to use it. Be concerned and care about what he cares about. His interests should be your interests. See, your relationship with Jesus is not to be on your terms, but His, because He is your King. And as your King, He has welcomed you and made a way for you and me to be invited to be a part of the greatest kingdom advance ever. See, He has made it so that your smallest act of love, your smallest act of faithfulness is seen by Him, rewarded by Him, and can bear eternal fruit by Him. I'm going to call Matt Hoffman up uh, to have a little quick discussion. Um, this is a young adult that I've known here for the last 10 years. I've grown, wow, to love him and um, to care for him. I got faint as I, I'm getting old. I just want to give a little bit of context before I ask him a question. A couple of years ago, when both Matt and I looked a lot younger in pictures, um, <laughs> we went to Prince George, and we, we look really young. But we went there, and our first night, there was actually a, a, a tent meeting, a revival tent meeting. And we went there, and Matt was at the front, and God got a hold of his life. And God showed him somehow, as only God can do, 
all of his sin and the debt that he owed. And then in the next moment, God took it and showed him how forgiven he is, how Jesus' blood covers over all of his sin. And it was an amazing for me to watch him and to experience that and to see God work in his life. And it was also great to see him weep like a little baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> But Matt, I want you to share with us um, an area where God has been trying to get your attention. Um, recently, I uh, actually more about the past. I've recently paid a debt that I have had for about since, since 2011. And the thing is, it was a cell phone debt, and at the same time, I canceled it, and they had my kind of contact kind of messed up and so I kept on getting letters and letters and letters and recently I, I had paid it but I didn't feel like it was my debt to pay because I canceled it and they charged me for it so at the same time paying the debt I kind of came to the graphs of like is am I living my life for myself or I live my life for God because he paid his debt and he didn't do, even do anything, you know? And I just, I kind of felt my life that there was a little bit of, like, stalemate of, of, it's almost like your life's on pause when you have these kind of things hindering you, behind you. And I just felt the kind of release. It's kind of like waiting that light to change and it, you're just waiting and waiting, and it doesn't change, and then finally it changes. It's kind of how that kind of felt, like my life was back in resume of paying that debt. So, yeah. Thank you, Matt. And just, just so that we clarify what you heard, in 2011, he had a cell phone, incurred lots of debt. He canceled his phone. He kept getting penalties. They sent him mail. The name on the, the bill, they got it wrong. It wasn't Matt Hoffman. It was what? Matt. It was Matt Hosman. Like, awesome, <laughs> right? So imagine how exciting he feels. Like It's like, hey, this isn't mine. Yeah. This is mine. I don't have to pay it since 2011. Matt, during that whole time, was it clear that following Jesus looked like being responsible and paying that debt? Yeah, I needed to. And how... <laughs> And my question is, how do you think following Jesus in this area impacted your walk with him? Your walk with him. Is that a question? I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, more or less about managing kind of my responsibilities. And if I want to be a follower, I need to be more practical on, you know, what's important, what needs to be paid. I'm going to be an example of God. So, And Matt, how do you think following Jesus in this area impacted his kingdom advancement? Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, I would say... Uh, you know what? I want you guys to give him a big hand because that was actually <laughs> really good. Thank you very much. That's good. It actually helps prove a point that oftentimes we only look at how the sin affects me. But we don't consider how our sin, not responding to God, might affect His kingdom advancement. 
I, I worry and I care how it might affect me. It's money out of my pocket. I can't maybe spend it on this or that. But the real concern should be, how is this impacting God's kingdom advancement? If that's not your mindset, then God wants to help shift that so that you walk out this door differently. Thank you, Matt, very much. We know that sloth means to be negligent and indifferent about God's word and his known will, but there's another aspect to it. And just an aside, I want you to know that um, sloth isn't so much about indifference, but about rebellion. It's what he wants to bring. That's what the fruit he wants to, to, to bring in us. But another aspect that I want to talk about is is about sorrow. St. Thomas speaks of sloth as sorrow, and I just want to read what one writer named Charles writes. Charles is a good man that I just found this week. Some modern commentators speak of sloth as a don't-care feeling. Some even as a kind of falling out of love with God and the things of God. On account of sloth, the idea of right living and the gift of a transformed life inspires not joy, but aversion, even disgust, because it is seen as laborious, or as involving the setting aside currently enjoyed or sinful pleasures. By sloth, many experience sorrow, not joy or zeal, in following God and receiving a transformed human life. Rather, they are distressed at the prospect of what might have to occur should they embrace the faith more deeply." See, the, the, the sorrow that is referred to here is the distress caused by loss. See, setting aside currently enjoyed things or sinful pleasures when God asks is very distressing. It's very tough and can cause dis, uh, discomfort and anxiety. And so does it really matter if it's a small thing? Well, if he says so, if he shines his light on it, then yes. Speaking to a friend last week... He deleted an app off his phone that God had been speaking to him about. He had the game on his phone for about eight months, and I don't know how long God was prompting him to get rid of it. The game itself was not a sin, but God made it clear that it was a distraction and had to go. Right there and then, my friend didn't just delete an app. He realigned his heart and his priorities with his king. He just made room in that moment, more room for God, and his nature, and his kingdom, so that while he's out of these four walls, God's nature has a better chance of being seen in his home, at his work, and in his relationships. Has God been speaking to you about something that has been keeping you distracted from him? And what are you doing about it? If Elijah were here, he would say, how long will you waver? How long will you waver? I'll do it tomorrow. How long will you waver? This stuff isn't easy though. Whether your king requires you to delete an app from your phone or give up your job or give up your rights to connect with your neighbors or work through your baggage, there can be sorrow, there can be sadness, distress caused by losing something or having to let go of something you enjoy or find comforting. I'm going to invite Jordan Vendiola up here, um, and I'm going to ask him a few questions. And Jordan, I want you to listen very, 
careful to the questions that I ask because they may be different from what I had asked you to think about. (laughs) But first, can you just please share um, with us a situation where God has been shining his light and trying to get his attention, um, his, your attention from him? Yeah, um, I guess an area of my life that God has been trying to get my attention on um, is just how I spend my free time, specifically in the area of uh, video games. How long has he been um, talking to you about this, and what has been so hard about giving it up? Um, I'd say it's been a couple years, and... Yeah, I think the hardest part about giving it up was more acknowledging that he actually wanted me to give it up. I think originally, you know, I had always told myself, you know, if God asked me to give this up, yeah, 100%, I'll give it up. But it was so easy for me to justify him not actually asking. You know, it's so easy for me to look at that and be like, ah, you know what, I don't think that was actually God saying that. And so, I think I'm okay doing what I'm doing. Jordan, how do you think this is, has affected or impacted the advance of his kingdom? Um, well, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely taken away from various things that I should be investing my time into. Um, whether it's reading scripture, praying for people that I love, even spending time with them um, face-to-face. You know, I think... The amount of energy that it it takes away from my day as well, it just, yeah, instead of doing my best on, on the things that he's called me to, I end up doing, you know, stuff that to everyone else is like, oh, that's, that's good enough, you know, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be good enough, I want to be what I was created to be. So. Jordan, what are ways that you've tried to overcome this? You've tried to follow him. Um, yeah, I think definitely, uh, you know, I've, I've brought it up uh, in various accountability groups. Um, you know, I've also tried to do it on my own strength where I would uninstall games, but then, you know, the next day you can just install it back. So it's like, oh, well, I <laughs> lost a day, so I, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, lastly, where are you today with this, and, and how are you feeling about this area? Um, well, I'd like to be able to say that I've overcome it, but that's that's not the truth, and it, it is a struggle. But yeah, I have been getting help from people that I trust. I have been praying through it, and uh, yeah, I've really been seeking Him in my times of temptation, and so it's. Yeah, it is a battle, but I'm, I know that he's seen me through worse, and so I'm encouraged, and I know that by his grace, I, I will overcome. Amen. Thank you very much, Ben. That was awesome. There is um, one last thing I want to say about sloth, and I think it's the most important thing. And that is grace. See, sloth also tends to dismiss 
the power of grace. Since it focuses on the trouble or effort attached to walking in the Christian way, rather than to understand it as a work of God. I want to read from Colossians a few verses, and then later I'm going to read Paul's prayer. And we'll close with praying Paul's prayer over Hillside, because I think it's fitting in regards to all of this. Colossians 1, 3-6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the first day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You guys, grace is truly amazing. And I don't believe there is any language that can quite capture it and box it up. But Paul says here to the Colossians that they understand God's grace in all of its truth. I want to understand God's grace in all of its truth. If you pray and you are a list prayer, add this to your list. If you haven't known what to pray, You don't know what to pray and you haven't got started. Start here. God, help me understand the fullness of your grace. Your grace in all of its truth. It's a great prayer. Understanding grace is key to overcoming the sin of sloth. Yes, it's true that God's grace means and includes salvation and a free gift and forgiveness of sins and his love and his kindness. But it doesn't stop there. It also includes his enabling and his empowering. See, God's grace is given from your king, the I am. Whatever you need. Do you need strength? Do you need endurance? Do you need patience or focus or resistance or courage or the ability to love those who are hard? He will give it in full supply without measure. Now, I know it's nice to think of grace in terms that when I sin and when I mess up, I can just be forgiven, have a clean slate, and then carry on with my life with paying little or no attention to God's will or His known uh, word or known will. And when I sin again, I know I got the grace. And it is true that when you sin, you are forgiven, and that is good news. But it's also true what the writer in Hebrews says in 4.16. He said, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, he's telling us here clearly that we are to come to the throne of grace as we face temptation, while we are tempted, not after we've given into it, to get the help we need to live for our king who sits on the throne. See, when we are tempted, or we feel indifferent or recognize we're negligent, We can run to the throne where our gracious king sits and we can say, I want to follow you, but I'm torn by my desires. Or I just don't seem to have a hunger for you. I can't do this on my own, we need to say. Enable me, empower me to follow you and not my appetites, not my flesh and my own worldly desires and fears. And you will receive his grace, 
His enabling power, and you will walk out of His throne room with all you need to go into the world with the light that the world so desperately needs. He is calling you and me to live like that. Not to do relationship with Him on my terms and just run to Him after I've sinned to get the grace I need. But to do relationship with Him on His terms where He is King and I learn to sit and I learn to abide and stay with Him and run to Him to get the help I need to overcome all temptations, even spiritual apathy. It can be, sloth can be generated, triggered, it's important to understand this, by the feeling of being overwhelmed at the perfection of our call. It's interesting and important to note. Sloth can be generated or triggered by the feeling of being overwhelmed at the perfection of our call. We are called to walk with our king, to look like our king, to love like our king, and to live for our king. It is a high calling, one that can seem overwhelming at times. There's one man who puts it like this. At first I found the Christian life easy. And over time I found it hard and more difficult. And now I've got to the place where I realize it's impossible. It is impossible with man. But is possible with the enabling power of God's grace. And that's why we do have this king who invites us to his throne of grace. Not after we sin but as we struggle with sin. And I know and I hope that you know full well that you can run to God's throne after you sin. But do you know that you can go to Him while you struggle with sin, before you sin, so that you don't give in to sin? You can do it. You are invited to His throne of grace where He will give you whatever you need to enable and empower you to live for Him out in the world, through those front doors, and outside these four walls. It is only by His enabling and empowering grace that you can live in such a way that is countercultural and brings the light of the nature of your King in everything that you do. The world needs to see the King in you. He needs to see the king in you, and it happens when you take small steps and respond to the light that he shines in you. In closing, it will be really good for you to remember, again, that spiritual progress grows in stages and by many steps, not one giant leap. Yes, it can be overwhelming. Where do I start? Let me take the pressure off you. Ask him where he wants to start. Ask him where he wants to start. You might be surprised. He might not start by pointing out what needs to change, but how loved you are. He knows what you need to see here and now. Will you be open? You're not going to wake up tomorrow or any other day a spiritual hero. You never will. Jesus is the only hero. And yet he invites us to be a part of the greatest kingdom advance ever known. How many of you have ever played Risk and thoroughly enjoyed advancing against the enemy? It feels really good to advance. God calls us to advance. His kingdom outside these four walls. And that can seem pretty overwhelming if we think it's our job and our work. But it's not our work. 
It's his work seen in you and his work seen through you. Here's a note I'll just read. Although the result of his work in all of us will be the same, we'll end up looking more like our king. However, it's important to know that the way that he works in each one of us is very different. At different depths, in different areas, at different paces. And it's, so it's not a cookie cutter formula. Meaning that you don't have to look like or keep up to the Christians next to you. All you need to do is respond to the king and his leading. At times he will use a bright light that reveals and exposes more than you're comfortable with. This will be done out of love. At times he will use what feels like a laser beam where he wants to focus on just one small thing. This also will be done out of love. At other times, for those who have been asleep for a long time, depending on who you are and where you're at, he will either blind you like he did Saul or he'll gently turn on a light slowly as with a dimmer switch and just whisper, wake up, my son. Wake up, my daughter. However your king chooses to come to you, with a 40-watt bulb or a 1,000-watt bulb, through reading his word or through a friend or on a Sunday morning, choose to respond to his light, his knock. Give him access to work in you as you go into the world, and then you will be a part, one small step at a time, of advancing his kingdom, the greatest kingdom there will ever be. I want to call up the worship team as I read this prayer from Paul. Colossians 1.9 For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Did you hear that? Did you hear what Paul's praying for this church? He's praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. He wants them to know God's will. but it's because they understand God's grace in all its truth. He knows that if God reveals His known will, that they understand they have the grace to do what God reveals. And I pray this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.